Parry Talks. Welcome back. Episode 11. Hello, good sir. <laughs> He's interrupted the intro. Sorry. Um, nah. Very special guest today for a whole multitude of reasons. The first one being probably like my most special guest I reckon I could ever have on this podcast. I could interview Tyler, the creator, my <laughs> ultimate idol, and this would still be more special because the first article I got published, the first interview I ever did was with this man. And for it to go full circle now, you know, you were playing fucking churches back then and now you're playing borderline arenas and it's come full circle and I'm doing a podcast in a pub. So we're here. Ziggy Alberts, how are you, my kind sir? I am very well, thank you, Perry. It's um, it's nice after all the years. Cause I feel like that was Paddington, was the church. Yeah, place? just yes. after that show. Yeah, that's. Um, I actually just went past there just like, two days ago. Wow. I was just next door getting food and I looked and I was like, I'm pretty sure I used to play that church yeah. back in the day. So no, it has come. It's definitely... Um, it's definitely very nice to come full circle and very cool to see Parry Talks come to life. I knew this was a bit of a concept. Yeah, yeah I so. did. Did I mention it to you like years ago? Probably. Yeah, and I knew that that was something that you wanted to like pursue, but it was kind of... and I. But when I saw that it kind of come out and the interviews you've been doing with Triple One and stuff like that, yeah. I was like, it was nice to see you kind of... I felt like you jumped in... Uh, jumped in straight into it, you know? Yeah, in, I wasn't messing about the pool. So that's... Um, I thought that was really cool. Exactly. Well, you're in Sydney... Where were you on Saturday? What's going on there? Talk me through it. Well, Saturday, um, I just so happened, I got a call from one of the guys at Patagonia, and they said, hey, Saturday's going to be a national day of action. We're going to hold these paddle outs um, to protest against the proposed drilling in the Great Australian mm-hmm. Bight. And I just so happened, I was like, yeah, well, actually, I'm going to be in Sydney. And they had one at Bondi, and I was staying in Bondi, so it just couldn't have been, couldn't have been better. I'm here just for the week, you know, where... It's Monday and the show's first show. Tuesday, tour starts. Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? You're already behind the end. For real? Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, it's, um, yeah, so three days until um, the first show of tour. And so we usually keep this week for like press and I might have performance and stuff like that. But it was really cool to kind of be able to go drag some people down to, mm-hmm. to Bondi and just get numbers. I think we had over like a thousand people down at Bondi, which is a really big turnout. There might have been over 10,000 surfers across Australia, you know on 50 something paddle outs and that's a really and I saw a post today from a guy called Heath Josky who's one of the Patagonia ambassadors and he's mm-hmm. been going around the world and he's a fairly like um, I'd say like he's you're almost like quintessential bloke Australian yeah. you know, big beard and everything like that so he's a really great um, well spoken sort of he doesn't come across like your full hippie yeah. so people will listen to him who exactly. who aren't necessarily open to the ideas yeah. and anyway he put up this post this morning of um of a paddle out in the Northern Territory, mm-hmm. like crop country kind yeah. of thing. And so that shows you how committed people are to like, yeah. how committed people are. And I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, everyone's really, like everyone's coming together on a lot of different things right now with the fires that are happening, um, with stuff like the Great Australian Bite and the proposed drilling there. It's in these times that you see that people do actually want to come together. I yeah. think that's something we could just practice more and without there being yeah. issues without a reason yes when exactly, something yeah. goes wrong we come together you know that's like I think an observation of like human nature and yeah. uh, it'd just be nice if we remember that and come together for which we do we do with music we do with art we do yeah. with you know um, we do with a lot of things already but we it's a good reminder or I see that's what I see the positivity out of these things you, you wish you weren't having to protest but what's cool is that you see everyone kind of just puts their come stuff together, aside yeah. and comes together so yeah, there's definitely a point to have on being proactive other than reactive. 
Yes. But it's got to a point now where we have no choice other than to be reactive, mm. given the climate, given the, given like the political climate that we are in. Yes. So even though it's like good to say, well, we should be more proactive, it's like it's hard to because of how far, far over the edge I think we are. Yeah, I think it's a, um, I think kind of something, I, I think people are cottoning onto it in the sense that there's been for the last couple of years a lot of, um, sharing an expression through um through social media mm-hmm. and that's really good really really good for making the public and making like you know making the world aware but i think what's even more important which is starting to happen more and more yeah. is that people turn up to the protest people sign the petitions people write the letter because that's the stuff that counts within the um court of law you know they yeah. don't as much as they should for um, a social um, indicative they should take into account like when for example when this all first blew up with the Great Australian Bite proposed drilling like there might have been like 14,000 comments they actually yeah. had on one post trouble is a politicians don't care like it's not like <laughs> they can go oh yeah these, there was this much engagement yeah. on this post they don't <laughs> check the analytics yeah. <laughs> oh look at these analytics um, and secondly that you know they, they just they hit the post or exactly. they you know, hit the comments and um, and so we have been right I feel like a lot of the energy got shifted into like putting into social media but the energy you put into social media it kind of just is like a little it's its own little circular yeah. thing and like I think it's a really good way for people to put a lot of energy into something without it affecting the actual political situation and exactly. so I think that the information being shared and like for example like these paddle outs being made people are aware of them because of social media like mm-hmm. fantastic and then it's but it's the people turning up and the numbers being there and the people signing those petitions um that's what counts in the court of law and that's what counts politically and so um yeah i think that again all of this like the situation that's at hand now has really um ignited people on a lot of front you know and united people on a lot of front people are very aware on a lot of different ages and demographics now yeah. uh, so I think that there is always some some good that comes with it you know if you choose to see it or if you choose to you know participate exactly. in it there's, there's a lot of good that um, comes through and I think that we have as probably we have probably as caring and active um Australia as we ever have because we have to exactly and, um, right. and but that's that's great that's great I love seeing I love seeing you know the crew like horror show for example like they're into their human human rights yeah. activism you know and that's something that I could never speak to their demographic of of fans their yeah. their core fans I couldn't speak to them about that because but because they have like the respect of their their crew that come to shows like they have this really um, and that's what we need everyone in their different corners and finding like what is what is their um what is their way their like their voice way. yeah yeah because it's not it's not for everybody i don't believe um i don't think that everyone should endeavor to be like an activist an activist or like a blonde um <laughs> to care you don't have to be a blonde hippie surfer you know swimming with yeah. dolphins kind of thing you don't have to like don't have to fit that mold yeah. and I think that there is like activism needed in a lot of different er- yeah. areas and we all should really listen because one's not better than the other if something's like if animal welfare is like the thing for mm. you like that's what you should exactly. pursue because we need we need not that people kind of just 
follow the trend we need people to like listen to what what is their what is their passion and what they most care about because that's when I think they can give the most to those yeah. um, issues and I think um, one thing that social media has done for me or for artists for anyone really is accessibility on these issues you sort of hinted at it as well this isn't something that I would have known about if I hadn't followed certain people if or I'd be I'd know I could be a part of if I didn't you know have access to these social media spaces so I think in that sense social media is really good because it just helps with the accessibility of any sort of political issue yes um, but then there's the issue with echo chambers and that sort of thing which makes people super complacent in actually performing activism mm. because even though in like even though in your comment section everyone may be like yeah fuck this is awesome good work Ziggy and stuff it's like you, it can give you a sort of like a complacency it's like look at all these people like I don't need to do anything because everyone in this little echo chamber is happy with that level of you know what I mean absolutely it's like a real it's a there's even I believe some social studies been done around for example like the difference between if if there is a group of people when something goes down Mm -hmm. in the sense of if there is like a car crash and there's a group of people everybody kind of looks at each other yeah and like no it's like a very strange like human reaction whereas when it is um, one or two people yeah or three people it is um, everybody acts really quickly exactly and I think that's um, and so yeah that is that that's a really good way I didn't really think of that phrase but like yeah there is an echo chamber effect yeah. but that is up to us to um, to see through you exactly know, as in, so I, I couldn't agree more I think what social media has done and is doing is like really incredible it's free access to information and things get um, information gets spread really quickly around mm-hmm. the world and from that we should try and, you know, um, form our opinions and views and be curious and then uh, yeah, and then participate in the realm that yeah. that counts politically. Exactly. You know? um, not just politically, but counts for your community because, you know, I don't... There's a certain part of me that just really believes most in people power because, you know, this is something, some recent thoughts, but, like, at this point, we seem to have a certain set of individuals in our government yeah. that act a certain way. Exactly. And if we were lucky, maybe at some point those set of people would change. But what we have in a democratic system is, thank goodness, um, people power. is that people change. Yeah, people power and the people in power change. Yeah. And so my question of late, like for myself, like philosophically, is, is it, are the people in power the utmost issue or concern or if they are always changing is it our active involvement that Mm -hmm. is the real difference at hand exactly and i think that for me what i've started to believe is that like because maybe for for, maybe for four years we or for three years we do get someone or people in those political positions who are really great and we can all hurrah and we can see some progress but in order for those people those good people to be able to come through the ranks there also has the opportunity for bad, exactly. people come, bad people to come through the ranks or with yeah. people with different agendas. And so we need that flow because otherwise you have dictatorship and we don't really want to do dictatorship exactly. um, from what I understand of it so far. Um, doesn't seem like a lovely option. And so I think that it's active, ongoing involvement through exactly. our lives in the things we're passionate about in our communities and our yeah. backyards that really are going to make the difference. Exactly. And I totally, entirely agree. I was going to make that point. It's like you need the opposite opinion in order to make sure that yours is valid as well. Oh, absolutely. And it's so hard, but it's so true. Yeah. Mm. And it's one thing to be like, oh, I wish we had this sort of government that did this all the time. But if we went into that loophole, then there'd be issues with that as well that we'd have to end up protesting anyway. So just this, this constant, you have to be active 
Yeah, and I think that more than ever, it's really counting. Like it is, it is easy to easy earn. I say so with due respect, but it's easy to like donate the dollar, for example, to something that's happening in Africa, mm-hmm. and it's very real the stuff that happens in Africa. I'm not yeah. belittling that, but um, there is you can almost look, and there is like so many things in your backyard. There's so many things in Sydney that can be attended to. Yeah, there's so many things, um, you know, in North New South Wales that can be attended to. So many things in Queensland that can be attended to. So many yeah. things in South. So like there is always something in our backyard, and in some ways, they are the hardest things, but the most important because if people kind of we're all like looking after their backyard and community in like a true sense. We would probably see, um, we would probably see some massive changes yeah. because we have a lot of en- we put a lot of energy into things, and sometimes we have to. Sometimes there is the drilling in South Australia, yeah. that, but that does affect all of Australia. Yeah. So you know, it, is, it becomes even though it's not in our backyard, it does really become. Um, it affects yeah. everybody. It affects the, all of our environment. You know, it affects over half of our coastline if an oil spill did happen, and it would affect heavily the Australian economy, not just yeah. for those local stakeholders or for those local communities. It affects everybody. Yeah. So then everybody's go jump in, um, and yeah, it, it all fundamentally comes back down to we as humans. Uh, it's always easy, and we all do this to a certain extent. It's always easy to do things that aren't to do things with the precedent that they wouldn't happen in your backyard because yeah. at the end of the day like really if if these people who were making these decisions were like oh the oil spill would happen on my doorstep yeah, exactly. or then. The, the water would be um, the water would be polluted that I have to drink it's all under the precedent that we have options yeah, exactly. you know and that's something that I think the more that we be honest with each other and ourselves as like all individuals and companies and businesses um, the less ridiculous detrimental things we will do. Yeah. What's where's the process with the drilling in the Australian butt now? What reaction have you seen from the paddle outs? Just what's the whole situation there right now? So this is like the second round of paddle outs. This was like the first national day of action, mm-hmm. which is really cool to actually like how quickly that got pulled together. Yeah. You know, um, that's a really positive thing. Um, so on the 29th, where what the 26th today? On the 29th, I think um, in three days time. They they have to submit resubmit the application to NOPSEMA, which is okay. the governing body of who approves drilling and doesn't approve drilling. Um, they've already pushed them back once. They've already said, "Hey, this application, um, for lack of better words, just was like irresponsible." And they've already pushed it back once, but being like, "If you could just fix these yeah. things, maybe we can push it through." Um, <laughs> so it's really what I think the ultimate thing would be is that not only this application gets denied mm-hmm. you know, completely is that from all the attention that's been raised that um, the current um, the current you know um, drilling latest, yeah, context the current drilling context of in, in our Australian waters gets thrown out the window yeah. in the sense that okay wow like the people all around Australia really really oppose this and um, and so we'll see we'll see on like the 29th with they have up until the 29th to resubmit and they're yeah. going to for sure Equinor will um, the company's proposing yeah. for the drilling will for sure resubmit but at the end of the day um, it isn't Equinor's not really the issue because companies are free to submit applications nope SEMA if they did or NOPSEMA however you pronounce it if they did so much as like deny 
that that would really help as in to yeah. say but that still doesn't that kind of fixes it for this thing yeah, because this then there's Equinox is the only company that's ever proposed to try yeah. and drill the Great Australian it's not like bike. a legal precedent for the rest of and time. so when it's like when when the Great Australian Bike gets World Heritage Protection or when the Australian government goes right because of our stakeholders and fisheries and tourism which provides a lot of you know money um, economy yeah a huge a really positive economy in the sense that like for Australians it employs a lot of local Australians all around Australia and it also um, it also circulates the money really well within the continent yeah. like it doesn't get um, taken offshore like it, it provides local jobs and that money gets spent yeah. within Australia which is like I like that point a lot because a lot of the time the argument back towards some environmental policies is money like what about the money like look how much money we could make but then in this situation it's like look how much money that like on on yeah. the environmentalist side of the argument is like look how much money that this is going to affect negatively yeah oh, and it's, it's just it's really like to to be honest it's one of those it doesn't even provide it doesn't even provide a lot of jobs like it it really it really only benefits a handful of people this mm-hmm. proposed drilling only benefits a handful of people and affects negatively thousands and thousands and thousands of Australian jobs which I think as Australians like I I love my job I care about having my job mm-hmm. and I care about other people having their job and looking after their family um so it goes even which is really cool is that it goes right now this issue goes beyond environment yeah exactly and I think that um that's really really good because we have to we have to play the I believe that we play the game at the level they want to play. You know, I mean, of yeah. course, it environmentally matters, yeah. but it's like when we can prove that it's also would have a huge detrimental impact exactly. to um, the Australian economy and people. Well, mm-hmm. You know, that's when, that's when, that's when we have to. It has to be addressed. Exactly. Everybody, and that's a big thing. You know, everybody in our country, as they should, um, does care about, and so the more clearly this is communicated, we'll just have to see. After the 29th, we'll we'll make a new plan. But to have the amount of people attending yeah, the paddle out to have those numbers is like a really clear indicative and um, and I think the turnout was amazing so that's yeah full steam ahead we'll see how things go after the weekend awesome apparently you make music or something <laughs> me <laughs> I don't know well anyway Mondays and, Monday, Mondays and Wednesdays part time that's, like, that's been my latest thing people sometimes come up and be like where do you music and I'm like part time <laughs> Mondays and Wednesdays and Sometime. I don't think people get that I'm trying to be funny because um, it's not very funny but I okay. think you're funny Ziggy thanks that's really I'm really glad um, so you obviously are extremely passionate about this thing regardless of the music or not does being in the limelight make you feel obliged to address these issues and talk about these issues or is it just a sort of thing where it's like I'd be doing nothing and I'd still be talking about this stuff and now all of a sudden I've got this audience so they may as well hear it as well. That's that's a really good question. I think a lot of artists that this goes back on, I think a lot of artists do feel obliged in some sense these days. Um, I don't. It's just something and that's where I that's where I really encourage that like for for the guy, for horror show crew it is human rights and it's like the current immigration laws like that's their thing is in like that, like a supporting people seeking asylum like that's their thing yeah and they should not feel at all obliged to be then speaking about the whales and dolphins like yeah. that's their thing and like my my thing right now is trying to um very selfishly protect try and do my part to at least communicate because i have people in front of me my thoughts and ideas that's i think probably yeah. the biggest thing um i try and i'm trying to as much as i can 
have my um, most well-formed opinions and ideas to share with people because people listen and I'm not a scientist or someone who's necessarily it's not like I'm qualified yeah you know and so that's where I try to just be very I try to speak about things on like a fundamental level so that it's not just about the great Australian bite it's about how we treat our world and how we treat each other you know things that are really fundamental yeah. um, I don't feel obliged at all I feel now more than ever if anything only obliged to be as clear and accurate as I can yeah. um, because it, you have an incredible opportunity but I was already um, as you would well know from previous you know, early shows like the Paddington Church shows yeah. back in 2015 Jesus um, yeah right 2015 so that was like four years ago was it March? Was it March? Was there was the there were one? two runs. There was like a November one, yes, and then a March one. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's true. Because yeah. one of them was, was one it, of them was Runaway. Yes. And was was one of them Runaway? And was it then the end of Runaway? I don't know. Kind of was the start of the year the first one or yeah, yeah. a lot of shows. <laughs> um, back in those days, I was still was still talking at things, um, as passionately as I could. You know, and I'm 25, and at that time I was. My math serves me. I was, you know, twenty or twenty-one, and and so you can see over the years how, like, your as you accumulate information and a little more maturity, like you continue to grow um, what you're trying to communicate. Yeah. And so that's all I that's all I endeavour to do now um, is how I communicate um, and how succinct that is. That's what mm-hmm. I'm like um, most most concerned is not the right word. That's what I'm most passionate about yeah. doing. Um, and some days you get it right, some days you don't. But like that's like that's not any um, skin off my back. Like some days I am just passionate, and I just you know like for example, Splendor was one of those yeah. times where like I didn't necessarily communicate something as like perfectly as I'd planned to. But I was so In the, yeah, so just... passionate that moment, so emotional that moment, and I think that counts as yeah. well. You know, um, to not just have a perfect speech. Yeah, I think if you can just try and be like honest and raw regardless and though that gets if that can be communicated clearly that's that's what's important exactly and that we're at Splendor let's talk about it yeah I remember so my partner at the time was playing somewhere else I'm like this clash is killing me yeah I think that was like one of the (laughs) clashes I would have because I yeah because I would have really I would have um Come yeah. through, had a dance. Yeah, seriously. I would have been around. Yeah, and I like, and so that was funny. It was like, pretty much one of the only clashes that, like, yeah. and I was like, but. You know, so she had like a little break between her sets. I'm like, I'm just sprinting across Splendor by myself. The cops are probably like, what the fuck is wrong with this yes. guy? Like, he's yes. running from us or something. Security are like, what? So I'm just sprinting across happening. Splendor, like, pitch black. Like, it's so dark at Splendor at night. Yes. Can't see anything of people everywhere. And I just, like, run over. And you just see the din, din, like for um, laps across the sun, laps around the sun. Sorry, and I'm like, oh. And then the intro was just so. That speech wasn't like, and I can tell by having seen a thousand of your shows, mm. like you don't rehearse the stories, but you know when you're going to tell a story. Yes. And you can hear it in your voice when you know oh, I've heard this one before, and this is how he's going to tell it. And yes. you can you sound calm when you say it. Yeah. But like in that moment before laps around the sun. It was like I'd never heard you speak like from that from the gut. I think mm. ever, yeah. And that was such a special moment. I think. Yeah, that was like a, I think um, I was just really like kind of like fired up, you know. And that's um, and that's like you said. And the reason why you try and um, have a really like clear um, and and 
somewhat predetermined way to speak is because when you're in front of those people and have this amazing moment, it's really tricky to you you, you want to get caught up in it, and so it's yeah. like um, and so that's where it might be someone's first show, and it might be the first time they hear it. You know, there's going to mm. be like characters like you and, and several. You know, a lot of people who come who've seen it and heard it before. But it's like, for me, I might have said it and heard myself say it a thousand times yeah. over the last X amount of years, but it might be the first time somebody hears it. And that's where it's like, when you have, I've learned that um, it's more important to like, to, to, to be a little repetitive because the most repetitive it can be is like situations like you were made. Yeah. It's like you've seen like 12 shows or something. Mm. I don't know if it's that many or if it's that little. I'll, but be I'll do the maths well. You'll do the maths. I'll do the maths yeah. internally, yeah. But you know, so like there is a maximum of twelve times you've heard that, you know, which is still like you and you and like my friends now, my friends who come on tour, you know, they've 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 said it, <laughs> they've heard it, you know, five hundred times. But there's people in the crowd who've heard it, just hearing that song or that story for the first yeah. time, and that's why you tell it the best way possible that it serves the song and the story. But yeah, it's fun. I was just, like, I was just really. Um, fired up and I meant it I was like if I can if we can if we as the Australian people do our best to look after each other mm. and our our country as all people all races all backgrounds all religions because um, that's what's beautiful to be Australian yeah. is that you know like my auntie you know my half auntie is is Australian and she's Hungarian Filipino yeah. and here I am it's like my mum's Hungarian my dad's Australian but his parents are Dutch and English and beyond the Hungarian is like Slovakian and French and beyond the Dutch and English is the more French and some, you know, French Jewish background. And so like, but that's what makes me feel Australian is that yeah. we have such, we have such, we don't, we're not bound by tradition or by a color or by like one history. We are like one of the most, we, we have to be like the most <laughs> culturally, you know, diverse, diverse yeah. country. And I think that's what we should celebrate and be proud of. And so, um, and I think that at the end of the day, we, when we, do endeavor and take action to look after each other um that's well i see because i see it all the time yeah. you know when i see like at splendor i don't know how many people were there as in because i think the capacity that 10 i don't know what it was like I don't it was know. Ma- it was full the whole time but then and to see it was overflowing yeah. outside like it would it could have been over ten thousand people that night and to see over ten thousand when i get to see over ten thousand people like like work together because you think about that ten thousand people congregating in one area like yeah. that's like not an easy feat and a lot can go wrong and I see time and time again that people look after each other. We all exactly. see time and time again there'll be like 30,000 people in the crowd and sure yeah. there's accidents but for the most part there's not like 30,000 um, people also yeah. telling them what to do. People work you often will see or at least I get to see from stage like a lot of cohesiveness and a lot of good and so uh, yeah Splendor was really inspiring that was the last Australian show. Wow. Uh, coming up to you know Horden on in three days time. Friday. Is, Huge. Um and it's, I think it's, it's even harder to make, oh, sorry, pause. If you can make, what, 20,000, pe- 10,000 people sing every word to like five songs back to you, mm-hmm. then those moments you have between the songs where you do say something impactful, something you post on Instagram as well, they're going to um, interact with that the same way that they might interact with the next song mm-hmm. or something like that. So it's such a powerful tool and like the tool of just having people listen that's the hardest thing you know is that like there's so many people with a lot of good to say um and people who are with more experience with more like data with more like there is always people it just and the hardest thing to to do is to get the opportunity to have that many people listen exactly and so then that's why me as an artist you know circling back that's why me as an artist i don't feel i don't feel obliged 
I don't feel obliged and no one should feel obliged, but I just feel really passionate to be able to have the opportunity to do that. Wow. Amazing. Just going to take a breath after that. So let's just take it all the way back. Yeah, I was going to say, so, if there's any, like, if there's any things, I go, I, I go on tangents. No, it's fine. So we're, we're, trying, we're, we're doing, actually doing, actually doing really well. We're actually more on track than I thought would be. So obviously we're presenting a lot of values here, like for myself and yourself as well. Where does this come from? What was the Albert's household growing up, growing up like? Where do these values stem from, do you think? Well, growing up, I was like homeschooled, which the more I forget that like it was a very obvious story early on, but the bigger your music becomes, the less people actually know about mm-hmm. like your roots kind of thing. So I was homeschooled. I didn't see inside a classroom until I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up like pretty much like the, pretty much the most incredible opportunity you have as a child, I think. Like I grew up, I went and visited actually on the Sunshine Coast, I went and visited the place like I went and was with my girlfriend and I went and showed her like the unit I was born in. You know, I can drive past because it was like literally on the beach. Like every cliche in the book. Like, yeah. I, was born, I was born in a birth pool, in a unit overlooking the ocean on like a stormy July early morning. Like just like there's probably whales breaching and shit. Like, you know, who knows? It was... um Mum can tell you more. Um, but long story short, it's like I had this... was born there. Sorry. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I was born there and then like grew up just down the road, like at a place where um, where like there wasn't a road between us and the beach. Mm-hmm. Like literally like the, my parents just rent these little beach shacks and like were just like, well, we, we're just going to... They just wanted to, they wanted to have this really beautiful family life. And I think my parents aren't like environmental activists which I think is a really good point to make it's not like they're like have this big history in activism yeah. what they did was they tried to look after their backyard mm-hmm. they were like how can we look after our family and best raise our children and for them that was homeschooling that was dad work from home um, my mum was like looking after you know four dad had two before us so like four to six children not including friends yeah. you know, she had this full crazy mother role and nurturing role um, and we just like grew up very surfing, skating, and like had a really good education, but because you're not having to transit back and forth from school, it wasn't like we were at the desk nine till exactly. nine three. Till three, for example, right? Like we would, and if there was surf, it was crazy. If there was surf, we would like ditch school Just, for the yeah. day. Like it was nuts, you know? Um, and I then moved um, north. I moved further north, like to on the Sunshine Coast. Um, started doing like board riders, like surfing comps. And um, was then I was thirteen when I went to school. I went to this place called Mountain Creek. Um, shout outs. Yeah, shout out Mountain <laughs> Creek. Said hi. Yo. Um, and that's the biggest public school in Queensland. Um, and so that was pretty funny. But I had long blonde hair at the time, and was, and I had a girlfriend out of that school because of surf comps. And so like, I had the luckiest intros a homeschool kid ever yeah. to school. Like, people thought I was cool. Yeah. It wasn't until like year eleven when I shaved my head and I was doing two maths and two sciences and senior English. They were like, "This guy's a nerd." Yeah. And I snuck through the ranks, so it was really great. I was at a really funny schooling. I didn't feel very much at place at school in the sense that I had my friends who were football players and sports people because mm. I was right into my sports. Yeah. Well, you know, like not team sports while I was into surfing and being active yeah. and I had my friends in math C you know maths too you know my like my crew I really got on like you know we're all like I got on intellectual level yeah. um, I had I just had like I was, I was kind of just like lunchtime was like roaming the school seeing different friends kind of thing um, I graduated when I was 16 um, 
I, I worked my butt off. I thought that school was a really good experiment on how to like, it's going to sound bad, but like how to play the game. Yeah. And it was like, That's so how good. can I play the game the way I'd like to? And my parents were really funnily, really like were really great. They're really supportive in the sense they were like, well, if I, if I came home, I came home once and like I had just started with this maths teacher and he was an idiot. And I was like, I just came that? home and I was like, <laughs> I don't remember his name, but I was like, this guy's an idiot. And yeah. I was like, okay, like, well, then like, we'll help you move class. Like, it's fine. Like, I had a really good trust base with them where yeah. it was like, I could say that. And, and what happened from that was now I got my best ever maths teacher, you know, Nadine Soward, who I still have a cup of tea with every now and then, yeah. you know, like someone who's a really influential, um, great teacher and a really great person through my senior years. So we had this really, I think the big focus with my learning was, I think probably a fundamental was my parents are really concerned that we understood when we were learning things, not just copying. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really shapes a lot of values is like an endeavor to understand because we like these days more than ever, like we outsource everything. It's yeah. not like have the vocabulary. It's like, here's an app. Yeah. You exactly. can have your vocabulary on the spot, yeah. you know, um, that's, and I'm not, I'm not giving that a hard time. I'm just saying, but that's different to retaining understanding of, um, that's different to retaining understanding of, of what you're trying to apply to exactly. the world. And so um, my parents were just really, yeah, were really, I remember like very frustrating, especially when like your, your mother is a teacher as well, you know, cause yeah. you can't just, there has to be respect across the board. Um, I really appreciate that now. Like it wasn't like, oh, this is your teacher and this is, your. Yeah. I didn't get it when I went to school. I didn't get it that some teachers just didn't give a fuck. Yeah, I didn't get crazy. it that it was like, I was like, hold on, like, aren't we meant to work together? Yeah. You know? Like, and so I had this um, really, really great upbringing. A um, lot of siblings, you know, so five siblings. Um, surfed, skated, did martial arts, was, you know, just very active. Um, I graduated when I was 16. Um, at that point, again, then my parents were really cool. Like I look back, but like I started working in music bar, collecting glasses, you know, for cash under the yeah. table kind of thing because I was too young. Um, but I collect glasses and it was a music bar. There you go. And so that's when I started to see music. I was right involved straight out of school into there. I actually was sometimes traveling to Sydney to intern in um, freelance journalism, interning at a certain really? magazine called Stab Mag. Um, and so I was like, I was actually more on the side of being a writer. Yeah than being a musician. Like, and as you can tell from the subjects I was just describing to you in school, I didn't do creative subjects in school. I didn't pick no. up a guitar until I finished, until I graduated. Until after I graduated, my parents bought it as a present. Yeah. So um, I didn't actually plan at all on being a musician. Yeah. I think that's the thing with a lot of creatives as well is a lot of the most successful creatives, not successful, but some of the most engaging creatives are ones that aren't necessarily single-handedly a creative. Yes. So... It, there's there's a lot of value for a creative to be socially round or there's a lot of values for them to be knowledgeably round. Yes. So if you're... So like I'll, I'm studying commerce and I don't know if that's something I want to finish with, but like learning that space of oh. like doing that and then being able to engage with ideas there and then yes. coming to a completely separate world and be able to engage with ideas here and then bundle that all together mm. is so valuable, I think, for anyone trying to break into any sort of creative community. It's like you need to have some sort of ability to create and to engage with ideas no matter what they are. I couldn't are. agree with you more. I think that um, I think that your ability as a creative to there is, there is and um and there's no um there's no that's no 
that's not a problem necessarily that if you're just the creative yeah, exactly. that can only be the artistic and some people yeah. are just the artistic and that's it but like for me for example like i see such a value i see uh, yeah just you said you said it really well to be able to engage on a lot of different yeah. arenas like the fact that you're doing commerce and also doing podcasts like i think that gives you it also helps you get a really um an understanding of all sides of of life yeah more or less you know like particular or business or careers it gives you like and so i was like freelance i, I was like full full study full nerd in school like i was I thought about maybe going to dentistry because I knew this family who was in dentistry and I saw the really good, they made a really good impact. Like they were helping yeah. with, you know, third world countries. They were surfing a lot. They had this really great practice. And I was like, well, that seems pretty cool. And I thought about engineering because I was right into my maths. Um, but I never attended, I never went to university. I had this gap year that I'm still on. And, um, and I just, you know, seven or eight years later, never went back. And, it just so happened that my parents bought me a guitar and you know probably through my senior year i was like i had a I had a tumbler and i was like doing i guess more or less poetry on there yeah. um and writing and and i was doing freelance journalism as i'd said like yeah i was doing this freelance work um so writing has from probably like 13 played a really big role in my life yeah like writing was like this thing that was okay and that's what music is essentially yeah. that is one avenue of writing exactly um, and that sort of expression and it just kept becoming more and more of a um more and more of a thing like it just it wasn't it wasn't like i was like yeah i'm gonna be a musician like i just picked up the guitar and then i i played one gig and then i you know played an open mic night then i tried you know try to get booked another gig and i would just you know be well unprepared all the time i was always completely in over my head as always still am and it just kept progressing and then it got to this point where I was, you know, doing less and less freelance, more and more shows, was still working at a cafe. Yeah. So my first pick up guitar, I was working in a music bar, collecting glasses at night, midweek, making coffee during the day. Um, something has to give, you know, it was a bit too much. Yeah. Um, and then it got to this point, turned up to work, hung over that day, may I add, and it was like 6am, but I still got there early to try and be a good guy, a good employee, which I wasn't a very good employee, but I was like, yeah, I wasn't really great. I don't, I don't think I was the best employee. I was hard working, but I think when it came to like having to do things that seemed a little stupid, I was like, <laughs> fuck that. But I, was, but I did because like, yeah, maybe it's a stubbornness. And but I remember the last day and I remember, um, like I'm not even getting paid any, like 12 bucks an hour or something, you know, like something just like, I mean, I've been in cafes for years. Like I was, but I was on like an entry level wage at this cafe and getting given grief for, for, for no reason and turn up early was trying to do the right thing what's well, hungover but that's by the yeah. way um, I was still there still in my sh- still but how old are you then? 18 you know 19 you know? what do you expect that? yeah, yeah. Exactly. but you know like and I felt like um, at that point I was like so if I play if I play like two more shows a week I can be at just as broke as I am but I have more time to surf yeah I was like, okay, Done. well, I was like, well, that seems like a, like, <laughs> yeah. that seems like a life plan. Um, and so what, even me pursuing music, it wasn't some yeah. big like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to play music Sydney Mind Music yeah. Bowl. I'm going to play Horde and I'm going to yeah. like be, I'm going to start a record label. It was like, yeah. I actually just thought it was a means to an end. Like I was like, yeah. I get to have a better life. It's yeah. like life will be better and I'll enjoy more what I do. Exactly. And because of the work I put in with school, for example, I knew how to apply myself. Yeah. And I was like, well, I've learned how to apply myself to things I don't care about, so now I can apply myself to something I, I yeah, do exactly. care about. And that was like, 
then all of a sudden it was like okay let's let's do it and then I just it just was like it was almost an addiction I guess like yeah. it was like it just started to because you played this show and you saw that like you progressed and you played this sh- next show and you play this next show and all of a sudden I'd play like five to nine shows a week and yeah. um, and it was just a whirlwind you know like mm. I, and I never I was never employed since um, yeah. just did you write Gone at that time? I wrote Gone oh before then I even wrote Gone before when I was still working I think at that point that was I wrote Gone in like October 2011 around October 2011 because the old YouTube video is still there and I I wrote it the day before and I uploaded it the next day through like mom and dad's little um, little camcorder kind of thing in the granny flat and yeah I was wearing this paisley yellow (laughs) t-shirt this filthy thing is it is it weird that like gone and simple things uh, get still get some of the biggest reactions at shows knowing where you were at the time when you wrote them and like the place you were in and the position you're in yeah it's bizarre it is really bizarre I think like I went through I don't know so a lot of people like with gone for example like I went through a phase where I was like I'd written it released it on this EP on SoundCloud way back in the days and at some point I was almost embarrassed by that song believe it or not for like I think a year or two I was like I felt like it was really like it was a very teenager boy mm-hmm. song and I think because I was it was still like so close to home I felt like this really funny thing and then at some point I was like just so like I, oh, I'm i laughing through most of that song and like just in absolute disbelief that here's this song that yeah. I think it's something really artists should realise is that you don't know like you can put in the best effort you can yeah. to a song but you don't really know how people with Runaway I didn't know Runaway was going to do as well as it's done you know and with Gone I wrote it because it was what happened to me and it was like the most honest expression yeah it was like a story of something that happened and about like you know a childhood crush yeah and so I think what I think what I've learned over the years what always comes through what people get with me is like the songs that are like really raw mm-hmm. and it's crazy I think it's like but it's saying it's great for other artists to see if they wish is that like you should never belittle your early works even like Best Friend is one of the first songs I wrote on piano yeah after learning piano you know and I've, I'm really proud of that song um, my playing will improve has improved should improve a little more um, but I think there's something special when you first there's something special about in the first drafts in the first drafts you know there's something you've got to re- remember about those and like appreciate about those because they're not they're unalterated they're not they're not observed in the same way as I observe my own songs now or mm-hmm. build my own songs now it doesn't make them any more or less special but there's something about them that's like can be so genuine yeah um, so yeah it is crazy it's crazy seeing like gone all these years later that yeah. it's still like people really want to hear that song yeah, and I'm like that's me I'm on stage I'm every show like, just waiting for it I'm like <laughs> waiting to cry in the corner let's go <laughs> so it's like uh, yeah it's something really it's something bizarre but and it just shows you how much you can't like you I even with Runaway released it because I had this start, I'd written Start Over at a similar time or just after I'd written Start mm-hmm. Over and I was like it was going to be used in an advertisement, a surfing advertisement, and I was like, I don't want to give them my best song. Like, I'm going to give them, like, True, I, think, yeah, yeah. I think Runaway's a nice song, but I'm not going to... And then Runaway went up, and again, it wasn't even like, all of a sudden, you just went crazy, got millions streets. Yeah, it's time. But it just, like, it just, it, even now, it just keeps marching. Like, yeah. it just, people just continue to listen to that song, and I think it's, like, really funny, because, like, here I was give, going, I'll give this song to the surf advertisement, because I don't want to give, like, 
the song I feel even more special yeah, about. Exactly. And then he, this that Runaway was like a, a next step song, I think. Mm. You know, it feels like there was simp- like simple things gone with some really early ones that like stuck with people. Yeah. And then I think Runaway like stepped this new level. Um, and then I think probably after that maybe was like probably the next like yeah. jump probably was probably was Love Me Now. I yeah. Think. You know, that was like the next like, oh, like another level of it just hit yeah. another 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 level again and it's all super organic as well it doesn't there's no I think the good thing about and I think the people keep going back to your back catalogue is there's a lot of scepticism by consumers right now when something just pops up on the J's or whatever it's like hang on who's this guy like where has he come from so there's a lot of value in you having such a strong back catalogue so people so you like go, there was obviously a big push there industry side that you hadn't got ever mm. Um, so for people to engage with that and then say holy shit like there's three albums here well there's an EP an album and an EP mm-hmm. and it's like holy shit like there's so much back catalogue so it's almost like those songs re-came out again yeah I, I, I couldn't agree more I think something early something early on was who's the band um, who does a song as a chorus says I need my girl I need my girl um, under the gun again who's it by um, intern um, who's it by? There's a song. Um, it's, one of my, it's one of my buddy's favorite bands. But they were an example. It will come to me some point during this interview. But they were an example of. Um, can you look it up? I need yeah. my. I need my girl. Um, and to see who comes up. But they're an example. It was like the sixth album or something yeah. that actually went somewhere. Yeah. And the sickest thing was they had five or six albums. And yeah. People were just like holy shit, laughing yeah. at the mouth, you know. And like that's like. The National, thank you. You know, there. Thank you. Very good. Um, um, wow, did that feel good? Did it My feel good? You had someone like just usually. Up? Usually, it's just me in here. Yeah. Some washed up DJ, <laughs> but this time I've got my intern. Oh, no, just kidding. No, that's great. Thank you. The National, you know, they like they're an example of the many. You know, like even look at like Passenger. Um, Passenger, for example, like um, not someone I listen to all the time, but. Mm. It, let it go was the fourth album like yeah. he was considered a flop like he wasn't like he wasn't like this up and coming like it was kind of like fourth album yeah and then like and people were like people were sleeping on him kind of yeah. thing and then yeah. you know so I think um, I think there's something really good for people to be able to look back to like a lot of stuff and I feel like what's nuts is that like Land and Sea is almost as relevant as it's ever been yeah which is crazy five years you know like five years on kind of thing yeah. it's like like how is that still? And some of the songs are from 2013, yeah. so it's like up to five or six years on, those songs are still relevant. I think that I—that's what I really appreciate about my listeners—is they don't just turn up for one song, yeah. And they aren't just even with the industry attention I've had in the last yeah. 18 months. People are like in it for like all of it in the long run, and mm-hmm. I think that's like something that you that's something like I wouldn't trade like I wouldn't trade my career for anybody's I wouldn't trade like my listeners and crowd for anybody because I think I have like I think the quality of people I have who come to shows and like support my music is like like uh, people can show me a better people can show me a better example you know what for example someone who I'd say has I would have like a relatively like I've observed dedicated fan base to a whole catalogue is like Dermot Kennedy yeah for example but like I still wouldn't trade exactly my people for his people you know like I, yeah. I just I'm so um, feel so lucky feel so lucky that yeah. people listen to my whole back catalogue and my new stuff and still give me a chance when I bring out something that's a bit different, different like intentions yeah I think you have a song that 
came out two sec two minutes ago. Is that right? Is that it, did is come it out past today, 12? didn't it? Is it past twelve? Check the time. What time it's is it? So it was the <laughs> Intentions Acoustic came out as we. Oh as, really? Yeah, yeah. So we just I recorded an acoustic version when I was in um, when I was in Portugal just like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> we're live. Here we are. We're live, baby. Um, woo! We'd have like some party poppers or something, but they aren't environmentally friendly, so we aren't. Um, <laughs> no, you know, so like when I have when I have something like, um, you know, like look at intentions. I think that even that song is being like was a different taste and was like yeah. me like for people who really dig land and sea. It was kind of, would be like a bit of like a hold up moment. On, like yeah. where is this going? Um, but I I saw this comment on my YouTube at one point, which I thought was really great. Like someone was like, I don't dig this song as much. I was in, but I'm really glad that you're experimenting mm. and said like um, I can't wait to see what comes next and I was like that is why these are my people because yeah. like even when someone doesn't dig this song as much as that song they're still in it for the long for the ride exactly. and I think um, so that's really cool you know? I think it was inevitable you become an R&B star though it, for you and me we know that was like that was what's so funny is that like, crew like horror show were my one of, were really my biggest influence to become a musician yeah from writing to musician, like horror show were one of my earliest, biggest influences, yeah. you know, like that's, so there's so much history in like rap for me. Yeah. That's hilarious that people just don't identify. Yeah. Um, but for me, for me, it's like, I think so much, um, you can tell a story a lot of different ways. And again, it's just, how can you tell it honestly? And something that was a big challenge for me with this, with intentions, um, was telling the story of like some of the realities of my life now yeah. which I always try and tell like the reality of where my life is now and the reality of my life is I also tour internationally yeah. now and I do have like I'm in a different position I'm not just living in my van um, on the beach busking anymore yeah. and so in in effort to continue to be honest with listeners I th and with myself it's like you have to tell those you have to present that same honesty you can't dig back into when you were 16 writing about a girl yes. and that doesn't exist anymore yes yeah you know and so it's and so I think um, that was like a really a really great that was really fun for me personally yeah. really, and to do the to do this acoustic version that came out today yeah. uh, was really important because that's where I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to listen to this acoustic version you know after this interview yeah. or today and they're going to go there's gonna, there's, I mean, it's had a, I mean, it's got, it got played in over a hundred radios in the UK, for example. Like, it got, intentions got smashed. Like, yeah. it was awesome. And I think for the really hardcore folk listeners and people who like super land and sea yeah. fans, I think they're gonna listen to the acoustic version that's been recorded. Ah. And they're gonna go like this. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, oh, I get it. Like, it makes sense. And that's what's really, like, I really, that's why I'm really appreciative. Um, that's what I think has grown in my songwriting is that I have the ability now to, like, write this song in this acoustic sense um, to do that and it be presented acoustically mm -hmm. and be presented as the way it did in an almost Ed Sheeran vibe yeah. in the product, you know, original um, produced recording. And I just am continuing to try and be um, brave and establish, not even establish, that's not the right word. I'm trying to be brave and, um, and just be a singer-songwriter, yeah. you know, because that's like, Intentions is fairly left field for me in the scheme of things like I'd say it was like me like I was like it was me pushing myself it came naturally but it was pushing myself um, no maybe it wasn't pushing myself it was me listening yeah to an entirely valid part of my songwriting that I hadn't like explored what's beautiful is between like gone simple things and intentions yeah now there's this whole party of like 
opportunity and mixes yeah. and like and there's songs that are like the songs that aren't as um i guess rap pop as intentions yeah but aren't as folky as the original work yeah, exactly. is like love me now and there's a beautiful thing starting to happen now mm. because you open yourself up to exactly. this, these ideas and these melodies is all of a sudden yeah and that's what i think um what I don't want to do is I don't want to just make another runaway. I don't want to just do, I don't want to just make another simple things or another yeah. gone. Like I don't want to do that. I know that's the safe option, but I don't wish to do that because I've never wished to do that. The only yeah. reason love me now came out was because I was willing to almost try a borderline, a little bit more country, if yeah. anything, like it's like a, like it's like a, a country pub song, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was me taking a step. Simple things was me taking a step from, you know, like from gone into like yeah. finger style. Yeah. You know, like it was all those things where all these things have been steps and expansion and growth. And that's what intention was yeah. for me. And what's now come out from that is like, yeah, it's really exciting. I don't feel like, you know, the songs that I'm writing today have any impact on the whole catalog. And that's my dream, actually, which I don't really talk about much. My dream is that like, people could listen to Land and Sea, could listen to Four Feet in the Forest, could listen to Laps Around the Sun and can listen to a record, you know, in the future. Yeah. And none of them, they all complement each other. That's exactly. my dream. Yeah. Like, that's my dream as an artist is to not have five albums that sound exactly the fucking same. I know that would be safe, but I don't want to. I just want to have, like, what's most honest and curious to me. Yeah. And I think I'll take it back to that hip-hop point because when I was introduced to your music, shout out Michelle... She's the OG. I'll give her all the credit for this. Good um, on you, Michelle. I was like a hardcore hip hop head. Like, yes. Rap. Like, I love that stuff because it was so literal. Yes. And they're telling non fiction stories. Yes. There's not a lot of metaphor behind There is some metaphor behind it in terms of like wordplay and stuff, but it's easy to follow. It's super non fiction. It's super literal. These people are telling stories over albums. And then when I was slowly getting more into the folk stuff, I'm like, why do I like this? And it's because it's the exact same art form in a different... It's just presented in a different way. Yes. So it's just like... So I think there's so much crossover between hip-hop and folk like that people yeah, sleep on. In true, entirely. yeah, yeah. And there is a true... I think in like the truest sense when like folk music is like in its honest form and when rap is in its honest form, when probably... I mean, it probably... Like, look at like, you know... Um, Pop punk, for example, yeah. very honest. Look at like... Look at like some of like the screaming metal stuff, like the crew and the Super stuff they talk yeah. about and touch on like... There is so many, yeah, the more you grow as an artist and the more you maybe grow, you know, seeing music, um, you start to see a lot of crossover mm. and I couldn't agree more. There was, well, for me personally, it was Crew Like Horror Show that turned me from going, I maybe realised you can write really honest stories in three minutes yeah. in a song and that excited me. That's, mm. you know, that's what excites me today. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Just got to take a breath. Bring it back to center. Come to breath. Let's talk about touring. You're probably the most relentless. I think you are probably the most relentless tourer in Australia. I, I don't see it's it's almost a part of your brand because when you started, it was the regional tours where I'm in a van, I'm playing fucking how many shows a week, mm. and it's just always been a part of Diggy Albert's brand. You haven't really given yourself an actual break until you had mm. the surgeries and stuff. Mm. How does it? How how do you come off a tour now and have to go back in the studio and try write? Is it does it hinder your inspiration, or does it feel like all the time away? It's like you're just like pumping just to be like, oh, I need to get these songs out, I need to get these tunes out. 
That's a really good question. This year was the first year I started riding in the bus because it was the first year I'd been on a sleeper, like in America and yeah. Europe, to be on a bus with bunk beds. Yeah. And so this is the first year that like I f- would be sitting up at like two in the morning writing songs after a show when the bus is driving from you know Kansas to Saskatoon or something, yeah. you know. And so um, so that's been an interesting time this year. Um, I I've always written just when songs come. Like for example, like last night I was working on a new song and. Because for me, like, like they're there and then they go and you kind of have to, like, nurture capture them and them, capture yeah. them there and then because they go otherwise. That's where my songwriting works. This is, I don't usually put down something instrumentally. Yeah. It's not, like, planned. It just kind of, like, I'll have a melody. I had a melody before I took a flight and then I recorded my voice memos and then was playing the guitar two years later and figured out something in the last night. I was like, I feel like I need to get this all kind of down yeah. into one spot. Um Going into studio, yeah, I think probably the, I was in studio for like eight days in Portugal just now, um, doing some exciting things, and um, heard it first, Parry Talks. <laughs> Exclusives. Registered so, trademark. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Triple J. This is my man. <laughs> this is my guy, this is my moment. And, you know, so I was in studio off coming off tour, and I think probably one of the things I was battling with was like fear in the sense that I've made mistakes, wrong word, but I've put myself like laps around the sun got recorded post tour, mm-hmm. post the hardest year of touring and like health I'd ever had. Yeah, and to kind of that's what made laps something I a really genuine, beautiful record was that like I was like pretty broken, and I was really so I was hell bent on not being broken for those songs. I was yeah. like, nah. I was like, I haven't come this far to not give these songs everything I have. If it's like you know. It's the last thing I do. I've got mm. to do this right. You know, yeah. that's how I felt about this song. And I think that's what resonates with the album. Is I think those songs have that feeling of like intensity. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I meant what I was saying in those songs, you know, more than ever when I was recording them. And, um, and so going into studio, I'm really cautious now when I go into studio and what I try and achieve. So, yeah, um, yeah in, in Portugal, I thought about recording a lot of new stuff and I ended up just doing some sweet, like, stripped back alternate versions to, like, a lot of different yeah. songs from the last four or five years um, because that's what felt right to do. I was a bit fearful to burn myself out by doing those extra studio days when I didn't have to. But what came from, for example, was Intentions Acoustic. Yeah. And that was, like, a really important way to express that song. Um, I'd say... I'd say it's forever the balance coming off tour. There is like a decompression kind of phase, like the first couple of weeks, like you're like fine, 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 and you don't know where you are. Like mm-hmm. you have like day, it's kind of like three or four days after, then like one week to 10 days after that, you know, there's like, you just, you wake up, you don't, oh, like I've woken up, I don't know where I am. Like I yeah. kind of wake up and I go, okay, I'm like, I'm safe, but where am I? Like, <laughs> yeah, like you're just I, yeah. so cooked, you know? Um, I It's it's I'm still today like really like even these last weeks because I'll come home and I also then am like helping like I, I'm still behind most of the decisions in the label yeah. and common folk you know because we're running independent and I'm still like behind like I'm I'm talking the lighting plan I'm I'm talking the iMag video direction mm-hmm. for the shows I'm talking content like it's like and so I don't just finish tour I don't just exactly, finish yeah. as an artist I also come home to be a part of like a management team when I'm on and off the road I'm yeah. still involved in those things so I, I continue to get better I continue to get better at knowing what works for me what doesn't um, you know for example like on days like today I come and do this interview now and I'm not going to go home and try and do 
four other things. Like I'm going to yeah. go back to the Airbnb and like rehearse, do yoga and rehearse, you know, and it's really tricky to be kind to yourself in these situations. And I mean, hats off to people who've been doing it longer than yeah. me because yeah, I have been touring pretty hard out in the one year I wasn't touring. I was still traveling a lot. I worked a lot and I had surgeries. Yeah. So, um, I, I, no one forces me to do it. I think I'm just still very like addicted to like the chaos and the challenge mm-hmm. because like you learn so much from it. Yeah. And there's also nothing like it. It's also just old fashioned. Yeah. Like back in the days, crew just toured and that's how it wasn't because you had Instagram. No. You toured. That's how you, and that's how you won the hearts of the people. Yeah. And, um, and that's something like I've felt very blue collar, you know, blue yeah. collar old school. Like you tour, you do your best every night and that's it. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. Um, and I do look forward to like, I, this is going to be over 120 shows from December till December. And like, I don't, I'm not going to do 120 shows next year. Yeah. You know, with the international travel added, I think I'm going to do about 80 next year. And um, that's still, still a lot, yeah. but you know, but comparative to what yeah, it's exactly. done, it's like, oh, like that's not so bad. And so it's just about, you just have to keep learning how to be reasonable with yourself um, and what you put yourself through and why. A certain part of it is that, like, particularly as, like, young males, I think mm-hmm. you want to know, young young males, um, you want to, you want to know, you want to, like, push, you yeah. want to know that, like, you want to know that when shit hits the fan, that you are strong enough to be there for your exactly, people, yeah. for yourself, to not lose it. Mm-hmm. Trick is knowing that to be true, practicing it when you have to, not putting yourself through it when you don't. Yeah. And that's, like, one of my big lessons is, like, listening to myself on like a physical level um and being realistic and that's something that um yeah that's something that i continue to do i think on uh, what i'm doing to, to maintain the amount of touring is that i'm pretty i'm really i'm very very healthy with like even though i drink now which you may may or not know really start drinking again this year um but you know i'm not a big party animal which we can talk about i'm not a big party animal um i'm i do a lot of yoga this year most consistently i've been doing yoga on like an everyday or very very regular occurrence and meditation like that's kind of how I'm like keeping staying up staying alive yeah that's yeah, what it is know. literally staying alive yeah because there's no way you can survive no, mentally at all if people, you're not that's why you see people mentally like going through what they go through yeah. and again I mean hats off to people who party and do this you know but my situation's again a little different you no, know? I'm just kidding I'm <laughs> like, hey um hey um you know, I think, um, but for me, I have a very peculiar situation where I'm also like a part of the management team who mm-hmm. runs the label and also across the decision. So I have even more on my plate than what some artists exactly, do. Yeah. And so it's not really an option for me, but I'm a little psycho, so I really like it that way. Exactly. And I think the music industry and mental health in the music industry is going to be the biggest topic for our community going forward because it is so under like so slept on so underestimated yes and if you go to a show it's like and whether you're in media whether you're setting the stage up whether you're the artist on the stage whether you're doing the camera work it's the only industry in the world where you're encouraged to drink while you work or trying to do silly things while you work and it's not frowned upon yes and like and it's their high very high social environments they're loud venues. You can't have real conversation. Massively high pressure environments. Under strict like time, it's like it's the most cooked thing. And then you throw people encouraging you to drink. People encourage you to stay up all night, and that sort of thing. And it's just such a underappreciated 
not appreciated, but under people don't think about it or yes. see, especially the consumer don't often see the side of Ziggy's playing 80, 80 shows this year. What's that going to do for him personally? And I think what's crazy is like there's me as the artist, but like what about like what about the people? Um, I was just checking out, still working. It's no, it's fine. It's just like something. I can see that stream pop up. I was like, no. No, we're good. It's, it's something to be said for how, um, like, I have I have one job, right? But, like, and I used to, like, help load in. I used to, like, help set up. I used to do it. Mm-hmm. First off, I used to do my own sound. I used to drive myself. I used to do so. But I think the thing that you touched on then is, like, it's not just me. Yeah. Like, it's everybody... And the hours they put in, and the intensity mm-hmm. for like all of the music industry, like even like even down to looking what like my girls do at the office, mm. where like because there's like you have to do stuff on multiple time zones. People are on, are yeah. on, 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 on. You know, working crazy hours that the human body over the last you know millions of years hasn't had time to adapt to. Yeah. Now we work at night in different time zones, and we fly between five time zones in five weeks. There's so many things, um, and until you see behind the scenes, which you're seeing more and more of now, when you see behind the scenes of like what people put themselves through, not just the artists, like what the music industry, yeah, it's not a surprise that people get a little broken. Yeah. Um, because like what everyone's experiencing for one night or for two nights on the weekend, someone might be doing six nights a week. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, I think it's something that's becoming, it's great, it's becoming a topic. Yeah. Um, I think there's more and more awareness of it and it's, um, again, what a great time that it's like becoming a, a topic and a conversation in music. Exactly, it's good. It's a good thing, for sure. Um, wow. Let's, um, I think there was a time reflecting where I saw you play a show. I think it would have been, you played a bar probably just around the corner from here. You did a Max Watts show. I'm just trying to think of what tour it was. I think it was Four Feet in the Forest tour yes and i remember seeing you and being like ziggy's off not off like the performance was still there but i'm like this isn't the same yeah and like i was like that's when that was like literally the first moment i've seen where i'm like where i've properly had that thought process of like holy shit Mm. was like watching you you being like you can tell you're tired yes and like yeah yeah i think um and that's what's funny is i can't even remember that moment i could tell you a whole bunch of other moments where i felt off yeah comparatively like the performances there don't get me wrong but like you know when you see no, someone and you no, see no, someone no. over again but it's, it's like, never with me a performance that's the, that's the funny thing is that that's like the double edged sword with like what I do is that people don't give a fuck about my performance and the day people genuinely probably like it more when I'm like having a giggle and like making mistakes on yeah. stage because like it's me having a really good time yeah that's what people are there for is like that like embodiment of like we are here together doing something really special mm-hmm. um, that's I'm not like a performance artist, you know? And so I think it does count. And I think that people, more people than they'd give themselves credit for realize when they mm-hmm. see the artist yeah. and go, whoa, that person's a bit off. And um, yeah, I mean, Four Feet in the Forest was just before, I actually had a lot of back pain. It was just before I had a hernia surgery on my stomach. Yeah. One of the surgeries I've had. <laughs> One um, and so like, yeah, I was probably in a lot of pain. And I remember that tour being like, I remember we had a cook schedule on that tour. Um, that's the biggest thing is like, it's not even down to the amount of shows you do. It's about how. And so, like, it's not even if I do 80 shows or 120 shows next year or 150 shows. It's, like, how you do it. Yeah. And that's, like, that's that's the process of learning mm-hmm. for sure. Um, I remember a couple of those moments. And, again, you just, like, you take two steps back, two steps forward, one step back, four steps forward, one step back, you know. And so, like, this last couple of weeks, it was, like, I, I think it got to, like, 
day before I left for Sydney to come here and I was like I'd just been foot to the floor hopped off the plane I was just smashing interviews like yeah just all that stuff and I was like hold on like I have to like you know like in three days time I have to have to is not the right word but in three days time I am about to go play to 5,000 people yeah like that's that's the thing like you know my, I'm really lucky to have my family you know like dad who like just pulled me aside and be like hey remember like that's what counts yeah like now like the interviews like I wanted to do this one but like as for like all the other stuff over the next where'd three where'd you get your weeks, name from <laughs> right. where'd you get your artist name from <laughs> no yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> I need that on loop <laughs> um, you know it's the time that like if all I did was like if all I was doing was like swimming in my dolphins and kissing starfish you know the next couple of weeks before I started tour like that was the only thing I should do but I also have this habit of like a part of what makes me calm because I'm like a little bit like tweaked is what makes me calm is that I don't like spend this week going I'm about to play my biggest ever Sydney show I spend this week like focused on like I got this interview I'm gonna do some yoga da, 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 and then it almost then like Day I, just, time. I like kind of like walk onto stage yeah. and go like hang on because that's yeah. like that's that's how that's how I remain I think like calm for me personally it's how I do um, that's how I remain like calm and I I have to watch it myself that I don't put myself under the pump up until these moments just yeah. to do that, you know, because you can also, as I mature, you can also like just, I could also just spend the next three days just having like a wicked time and, yeah. um, and enjoying, you know, enjoying, enjoying yeah. the lead up to these shows, you know? Yeah. So it's a forever, like, you know, how you maintain it with touring is just, I think an ongoing thing and you'd have to look it back at each tour and also listen, this is probably my biggest takeaway is like, what do you like doing post tour? Not what you could or should, like what you like, I think I like going to the coffee shop and doing poetry. Yeah. Like I like doing that. I like going for a walk without my phone and not having any plan on what I have to do after. Mm-hmm. It's little things like this. You have to just listen to yourself. That's where you just go sit with yourself quietly and be like, what really makes you feel good? And that's the things that make you feel good post exactly. And you just have to be disciplined and do those. All right. We could talk for days. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Let's go. I'm going to hit the... F- like, it's good. I think Elevate. in terms of the base interview, Elevate. I think that's perfect. That's a good way to end it. But let's hit the fans. The f- your okay. fans are crazy. They're the best. I can. We've had this conversation around. They're the best. But these are some good ones. So Lauren Peterson, big shout outs. She goes, what gives you hope? And I think that she meant that in the political side of things. Mm. Obviously, there's a lot of grim things going on right now, environmentally. But what mm. keeps you ground? What keeps you like, we can achieve this? Is it seeing the numbers out on the beach on Saturday? Or is it other things? I think it's seeing the reality. Like, if we look out here... Like, outside right now, there's some hombre, like, doing an online grocery delivery service with his door open. People aren't hitting his door, which is open on the street. It's a tight street. Cram parking, there's, like, a five-lane highway next door where people aren't crashing every three seconds. Like, are working with each other. Like, when you look at, like, the, like, symbiotic existence of the world with how many people we have and all of our challenges, and you look at how little goes wrong... Mm -hmm. When you look at it from that perspective, like the glass half full or half empty, when you it's look crazy, at it like yeah. that, it's like when you go, you go, huh? So yeah, on social media, when you can find out everything back, think about this: we as humans have never had the opportunity like we do now to think of, to know what goes wrong every single part of the day in every single part of the world. What we used to do was that, holy shit, a tiger is coming. Need to knife this <laughs> yeah. motherfucker. We need to survive. Right? Yeah, right? like as in, like we need to take this lion down. You know, this tiger or tigress. Like we don't know what it is. It could be a lion tiger, um, a liger, but 
that was our immediate thing mm-hmm. when when there was the you know, so that's the double-edged sword of social media is that we as as a human being the amount you consume of what's going on in the world today right now you never would have known yeah you never would have known we never had to we never had to compute that much information so but what gives me hope i think is yeah when you do go to those when you go down to the beach and you see the reality is there's people that care yeah. you see the reality you know in those tough times that like we talked about earlier that people come together i go on stage and see thousands of people in the crowd tightly packed together when everything could go wrong and everything goes right so i see a lot of hope in the reality and that's what we need to watch with like social media is it's very easy and even i feel it some days when you see everything going on you're like holy shit but there was a time when people were bombing each other recently in the world history when people were bombing each other when my you know my great-grandfather um on my dutch side was hiding people um and he got killed for it you know um in the end, when he got found out, he was a dentist for um, the Nazis, and he was hiding, um, hiding an American pilot and a Jewish family, and um, you know, and he died doing what he thought was right. Mm-hmm. But there was a time when people where that was happening, and like, where that was yeah. happening, and you're telling me that that wouldn't have felt like that. That would have felt like the end of the world. Exactly. Like there's pe- there's there's whole families, there's millions of people getting put into detention camps. You know millions of people being murdered in cold blood for no reason people trying to help them getting murdered for it planes dropping bombs like I'm saying like that like we aren't there exactly like as in we aren't there and we've been there and people people fix that exactly like that's that's why we should have hope is because we've been in some pretty nuts situations and I think as a young generation with our attention of what has just happened in the world history it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget that that's what we've come through as yeah. human beings, and so we should be very, we should be very protective of our freedoms. We should not give our freedoms away, and we should be alert in that sense because we have it. It's what we have in abundance that is easy to be leisurely with, and we have a yeah. heck of a lot of freedom right now, and that's, um, and that's why I'm hopeful because we have a lot more freedom than what people had, and people still managed to make things better back in the yeah. days. So that's what we need to remember. Is that's where we can look at our history and be like, yeah. So let's not let it. Let's not have a go there. Let's be a little smarter. You exactly. Know? All right, let's lighten it up. Let's lighten it up. Sorry, Ben Ben Fullerton and my very good mate Xavier. Okay. Hey boys. We need a hair and mo routine. What is the routine? How do we? How do you keep looking so fresh? So, it's a good question, boys. Where do I start? Um, you should just ask me. Okay. Yeah. I know. I was gonna say. Why aren't Why aren't you asking him? Like he's got. I think one the filthier the better. I think that's something like it just needs to be it needs to be filthy is like how like fundamentally like a good star should like make certain people shiver like nine out of ten people walk past should be like that is disgusting that's one thing like it should be formidable if you can you know not neat formidable like i had like this i got like a mustache trim when i was in la because i was getting a barbershop shave waiting for a flight and um and like i got like and the guy just gave me like a very like Hispanic Mexican mustache and I wasn't vibey at all. So like, like I got nothing against it, but it just wasn't for me. So I, I, I got the worst, like, this is what I do. Like it grows and I do this and it works. And then when it's getting too long here, I get scissors and I do this. I just like chop just here. And if I'm going on a big performance, sometimes I'll get like, <laughs> can't believe it. I'm gonna say this. Uh, what is wax? I got given, yeah, I got given That's wax. Fine. That's I got fine. given wax at like, um, I got given wax at Blues Fest in 2018. Like they had like a care package they gave you backstage as an artist, <laughs> and so I've still got this wax because it 
because like it's like too much you don't need it but on occasion i wax it up but i'm talking like every third blue moon because as you often see from video footage my mo is all over the place so mm-hmm. i just think keep it filthy is my advice on mustache grow it out keep it filthy um alicia asked a question what did you want to do when you finished school but we covered it but shout out alicia reaching out heaps on your relationship status we'll keep that <laughs> anonymous <laughs> um mitch davies we'll end it on this one actually we'll end it i gotta ask you a question i ask everyone but um mitch davies says best tip for mastering the, the guitar best tip yeah Ooh. Asking, you're asking the wrong fella, <laughs> I think. You're asking the wrong guy because I'm still, yeah, because yeah. I'm self-taught. I never had lessons. I play incredibly incorrectly, like on like a fundamental, um, on like a cla- on like a how you should play guitar. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't play guitar like that. Yeah. So, like I can't, I don't even, like, I don't even, I don't play bar chords. Like get that through your head. Like wow. I don't play bar chords. <laughs> like so, like I'm not the person to ask at mastering guitar. Um, just give it a crack then. Oh, I'd say. Go with what you feel, man. No, truly, go. <laughs> go with what you feel. Um, yeah, you know loud. That's gonna. Uh, is that gonna be really loud? Sorry. Um, just give me a walk to do after. It's fine. Um, I, I just think like, like practice. I think hours count. Like, I think that's like I would play on the street, busking while I'm prepared with songs that weren't really finished. I would do that all the time, and mm. you start to get it in like your reflexology. You start to start. You play. You start to feel, and I think that's like I think. There was a quote I read, and this is what I'll leave you on, is that, like, I saw from, I believe, a bass player, it was, like, 20% is the note you play, and and 80% is how, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what counts. Like, I, I play a lot of, like, Hands I Can Hold is a two-chord song. It's kind of like an F shape. It's kind of a C. I don't really know, because I don't know how to read music. Don't know how... If I was trying to tell you how to play my songs, don't know how to tell you. Um, But it's, like, an F and a C. Like, that's the two easiest chords mm-hmm. you can play. Standard tuning, no capo. That's hands I can hold the whole song on loop. Yeah. So I think um, it's not how well you play the guitar. It's not how well you play it or how professionally you play the guitar. It's just how, if, you, if you're feeling it when you're playing it, there, that's what I'd say. So you have it. What's your question for me? You said you have one more. Oh, right. I have a playlist. This is a new thing. Yes. I need three songs quick fire off the top of your head that gets thrown in the playlist. It's called Sounds Like Parry Talks. Sounds like Perry Talks. Okay, I'm going to say... Um, I'm going to say Rome by mm-hmm. Dermot Kennedy. It's like a kind of... It's like a... It's 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 really Irish, I'd say, for him. Like, he's an Irish artist, mm-hmm. um, obviously, but I think it kind of draws on his Irish roots. So I'd say Rome by Dermot Kennedy. Um, oh, Borders by Nathan Ball. Um, he's a buddy of mine that was yeah. on tour, and he just had a song called Borders come out. That you know nearly made me cry sitting there listening to it the first time because he's played it live a lot. But he's just Nathan yeah. Ball, yeah, he's an amazing UK artist. Um, and third, give me a second. Give us an R&B classic. An R&B classic. Oh goodness, what can I give you for a third song? You know, I don't want to give. I don't want to give you. Two. Uh, that's it. Okay. What's that? No, I, I want to give you the one that comes to mind. The one that comes to mind for me because, like, I re-listened to it for the first time in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, which you probably already got it on there, but all fired up by Matt Corby. I don't have it in there, but yeah. Okay, because wow. that, that's that's one for me that just the other day I revisited and I just. I wanna know. Oh my god. <laughs> all fired up. It's just like I just he's yeah. It's something. There's something beautiful in music when you um. Something beautiful in music when you just 
say something so clearly, you know. So that's my three songs for Sounds Like Parry Talks. Done. We did it. My friend, thank you very much for having me. Go down to the Thanks shows. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Chewing? Tuning in to Parry Talks with If us. you're here this late and I get this episode up before... Um, Friday, is it? Friday. Friday. And if you find me, I'll be front left. Front left? At the show. I'll buy you an, yeah. a bever- I'll buy you an alcoholic beverage if you find me and quote this interview. <laughs> yes, go find Parry. Uh, um, nah, thanks everyone for listening in and thank you, man, for having me. Always a pleasure. Nice Ooh. to do these long forms. <laughs>